The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora and welcome to The Offspin, brought to you by Coffee Supreme and with the people at The Spin-Off. It's our Cricket World Cup podcast and it's just, I mean, if you're a Black Caps fan, things are just going worse and worse every single game. Uh, we've just, in case you're just waking up to this, we've just plummeted to a horrendous loss against England. And get this, the loss was so bad that it actually sent my co-host, Simon Day, off to bed before the game finished. It was, it was the that? first time that I turned my back on the team. I couldn't believe it. I've been up all night, every night, for every Black Caps game, and this was the first time that I actually took myself to bed after Ross ran himself out. Yeah, we kind of did this game in shifts. I got up to start watching at around about the 10th over or something. And, and very soon after that, Kane Williamson managed to get himself run out off Chris Wood's finger. And I was just like, I got up for this. It could have Come been a on. very different game. Like, I don't think we played particularly well, but it could have been a very different game. You know, our our top order went strangled down the leg side. Uh, LBW, sorry, LBW that wasn't out and he should have reviewed it. Mm. But Henry kind of looked like he didn't want to be there and he was just like, ugh, <laughs> let's get back in the shed before I have to face Joffre Archer. Um, Martin Guptill strangled down the leg side. Kane run out in extremely unfortunate circumstance. Ross maybe wanted to be in with Henry because he ran himself out pretty badly. But that's, you know, that's mm. it's not necessarily a terrible performance. And we very nearly had a wicket with the first ball as well. Well, uh, uh, to me it... Felt like a very uh, a very nineties esque Black Caps performance. So our guest today is sort of the perfect person to have booked well in advance for this match, and it's just fortuitously turned out like that. We've got former New Zealand Auckland Middlesex Northern Districts Otago all rounder. Uh, just quickly as well, Test batting average twenty three point five, Test bowling average. 28.48, which has got to make him one of the greatest all-rounders New Zealand's ever had, Dion Nash. Thanks, guys. Sorry to hear you hit the wall, Simon. Oh, that was, <laughs> so. was sad. Although, this this is the best coffee I've had since the World Cup started because it's more about pleasure than sort of actually taking a drug to survive. <laughs> so this, this Coffee Supreme is tasting the best it has in a long time. And I'm, you know, three hours sleep isn't, isn't nothing. No, yeah, well, I, I guess um, yeah, you got to pay your dues, right? But um, it wasn't a great performance last night, was it? But I, mm. I, I feel like uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting being a former player and now being a um, you know, a fan or just a bystander on the sideline, and um, 
you would ex- you sort of I feel like I've lost where I'm at with them right now. They seem to have such a good model and strategy mm-hmm. going into the, mm-hmm. the the round robin games, um, the early ones anyway. And then they sort of got to a point where they were virtually guaranteed a spot. And then uh, and in the last three games, it feels like they've just fritted fritted that position away. Yeah, uh, I mean, is it is it possible that? the strategy at the start of the tournament was just paying off the ICC to get the softest possible draw? I mean, <laughs> no, no, I think... Some rain? I, yeah, on, on, paying off the mid yeah. service to get some rain at the right time. I mean, it, it has been... I think I agree that the performances at the start of the tournament were really, really good, but, I mean, there's a bit of an element of bullying the weaker teams there as well. Right? Yeah, there was, and they you know, and they probably um, were flattered to deceive a little bit against um, West Indies. Um, but I, I felt that they had a model that they were following. They, you know, they had the, 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 you know, the trio of fast bowlers were working mm. well. They had their batting line-up. And a little bit where they've lost me is, you know, if you pick Munro and Guptill to go and play open the batting in a one-day tournament in June in England, then at the start of the tournament going in, you know those wickets are, are not going to be suiting those two players. So the longer you go in this tournament and the better the weather gets and the better the pitches get, the more those two guys are more likely to come in to form and or find a pitch and conditions that suit them. And I feel like we've lost confidence just too early with those two. Because, you know, if you ask me as a, as an international bowler, who I would rather, or who I, who, you know, who I'd rather bowl to, or not bowl to, and you know the two I don't want to bowl to at the top of the order, I can tell you right now, are Guptill and Munro, because I might, yeah, sure I might nick them out early, but I tell you what, if I get them on the wrong day, I'm going to go for ten and over, <laughs> you know, yeah. or more, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, what indeed. that's what they're there for. They're there to win the game. Uh, they're not going to do it every time. And we didn't wait for that Munro innings. When, like when, it doesn't happen every game. It, it definitely doesn't happen every game. But when it does, it, it can change a game. And we gave up too soon. Well, it feels like it to me. And, and you know, it feels like um, now that we've done it, it's like we've st- I think they're questioning their own strategy a little. And mm. they've lo- lost their own confidence in their decision making, which is a bad space to be in. But is it possible that, that Munro and Guptill themselves lost confidence in that strategy because you know in the later stages uh, of their run in the tournament, their scoring rates right at the start have slowed down quite a lot. I mean, they're sort of going for maybe you could be generous in saying they're going for more of the Chris Gale approach of block out ten dot balls and then hit eight sixes in the uh, innings to compensate. But well, uh, I, I, there's a it's a really good question, but you know, what? look, I look. To be honest, if you've got to feel a little bit. You've got Brendan McCullum sitting there in the commentary box with you know all of you know Simon Dool and and um, and the, and the whole and Ian Smith, mm. you know who they bring a wealth of of wisdom, right? But there's mm. a sort of a subtle sort of presence of like you know, hey, they're not doing it how we would do it, um, so therefore they're wrong. Especially and, with Brendan, yeah. it's becoming more and more prevalent <laughs> with him being like, ooh, and, I wouldn't have done that, oh, I would have done this. And then Brendan recruits a few Aussies who are famous and well-known to back him up, and it's all of yeah. a sudden, you you know, that creates a whole lot of pressure on an internal team, and and a lot and a bit of resentment as well. Do and cricketers so, actually care what the commentators have oh, to say? They say, it would all say we don't, absolutely, but of course we do. I remember... In the nineties, not talking to Ian Smith for about three years in a row, and, and the whole team was doing it because he was without he was off, you know. But then you you know it rolls through and out. And but my favourite memory of that um, in the nineties, Mark Greatbatch takes this incredible slip catch <laughs> in Australia, and he turns around with the ball 
and starts shouting at Tony Gregg. <laughs> just like pointing at Tony Gregg up in the commentary box. There's amazing YouTube on it. I'll put it in the post on the I think, well, I think even maybe preceding that, there's this famous Andrew Jones incident, right, where he gets a, got 50 or 100, maybe got 100, and he walks off and gives, mm. gives the commentary box a beard as he's walking past. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but no, I mean, look, we, you always feel it. You're always, un, you're always there. But, you know, that's to be fair to to Brendan and the commentators, you know, that's their job too. Um, mm. uh, but but I think that, you know, if uh, uh, I always look at the All Blacks as an, a situation with cricketers and you, and you sort of can't really imagine quite such a wholehearted, um, open, open debate on strategy from a whole bunch of ex-All Blacks, you know. They might be thinking yep. it behind the scenes, and but it's sort of like, hey, let's just let them play this out a bit. Is that partly the nature of cricket as well? Being a you know you spend very very long stretches of the day when <laughs> you're you're pretty much just listening into people having a chat. In some ways, is that? Uh, I, I think the nature of it is it's cricket's a game of willpower. So like it's mm-hmm. an individual. You 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 are one individual against one individual playing out. Um, so it's almost an individual sport playing out in a team environment. Mm. You know, it's one on one, fast bowler against opening batsman, fast bowler against big hitter or spin bowler again you know and and vice versa you know so you walk out as a batsman there's only you and one other guy but at the moment you face the ball it's one-on-one and it's a really crystallized moment so you it's you have a have to have a big ego i remember walking out against australia when they had you know they had like glenn mcgrath shane warren the war brothers you know matthew hayden gilchrist Mm. ponting Mm. you know it was like a world 11 but you know with no room for anyone on the park and it was like these guys just projected these huge auras, you know, and they mm. really, really did, you know. Like there was, was, and you just realised if I don't really project, I don't even exist out here. And so you sort of learnt that it's a massive game of not just ego but will power and and confidence. It's a big confidence trick, and um, that so that that is quite a rare and tough thing to develop, and and it doesn't really sit that well into the rest of society and I guess once you finish as well that carries forward a little bit as an individual so that you get a lot of cricketers with really really strong personality yeah. and opinions you know which is I personally like but doesn't always fit that well. But that's interesting that you would say that uh, because the Black Caps now and since the Brendan McCullough, uh, McCullum era really have been society's favourite cricket team as it were they've had that reputation of being uh, not arrogant, uh, mm. not over-the-top personalities necessarily. Um, that projection isn't as visible. It might be internal because it would have to be, but you don't see that, you know, Brad Haddon type, uh, yeah. I th- Kyle I think, Mills in the quarterfinal type player anymore. Yeah, the the abrasiveness doesn't appear to be there. Um, you know, and I think Brendan McCullum did a pretty good sell job of, of that at the time in terms of, hey, we are the good guys and here's how you play the game. But... I do think that's not necessarily even Brendan McCullum or that group of players. I think it. Right. I think it. I, and I'm not being um, critical. I thought it was. You know, it's a. You have the right to create the way your cult, your team culture gets portrayed. I think that's a. And they did that very well. Mm. But you know, mm. when it comes down to a fight, you know, Brendan McCullum's a real street fighter, right? And he'll do anything to win. You know, it's just that he was at the top of his game and and had was commanding. Um, you know, and, and the game sort of he wasn't having to, to to do the things he would have as a younger player, and likewise, you know, other players at that time, 
you know, we were able to play that way and appear that way. But I always get amused by there's always those photos of um, you know Brad Haddon or the or the Aussies sledging us as we're walking off, you know. And there's um, but and yep, and yep. in that same game, there's a whole bunch of photos of the Black Caps, those very guys sledging the Australians as they walk off, but they never get shown mm. on Facebook. They never get thing. It's like we do do it. It's just how we like to think of our team at any given time. I think no matter how much you build up that sort of self-belief and um, project that onto the field. When you're running into bowl against a team like that Australian ones, that era that you were playing against, is it scary? Like we're, In that 1996 World Cup semifinal, uh, quarterfinal when Mark Waugh went crazy, what do you what do, you do s- when, when that's happening? Oh, you you know, it's not scary. Scary's the not the word. It's um <clears throat> but you there's a fight when you're going really great, when you're on top of it, the adrenaline is sitting there and your clarity of thought is right there with it. But when when someone gets on top of you in that environment or when you or when your mind is not on it, that adrenaline sort of spins out of control and, and you're you can it's almost like out of body. You bot you yeah, it's happening but you're not in control of it and it's sort of just happening out in front of you. You can't quite catch up to it. And and that and it's that mist, you know, that lots of people you know, call it you know, red mist or all these different terms for it, but it's just this lack of sort of clarity of thought combining with the adrenaline and the energy of the moment. And and, and when that mix is wrong, and that, that can become, that can be driven by lack of confidence, a lack of focus, it's not being fit enough, all lots of things play into it. But... The flip, what I can tell you is the flip side of it is you know when you have a great game against any comp of those great teams, it's the opposite. It's very calm. It's very in control. You can feel the adrenaline, but you feel really powerful and on fire. You know, there's this. So it's such a fl- flip. But you don't. I don't think um, the, the only time you really feel like scared, I think, is when you someone like you're waiting to bat and Brett Lee or Alan Donald's bowling. That that can. I always think we've missed the opportunity. Sky TV should have a camera just focused on the guy waiting to bat. Whenever someone bowls over <laughs> one fifty, they should bring in a special camera to focus on this guy who's next in. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. just like it's the fidgeting and the up An and down. Extreme and close up in their <laughs> eyes, like, see how much they're yeah. darting around. Oh, yeah, up and down, off to the toilet, get a coffee, or and then like sit with the team. Or no, they're too, they, you know, they're too raucous. I sit by myself now. I'm isolated. You know, so yeah. trying to find the right spot. It's like, and then eventually after about half an hour, all the, all the adrenaline drains from your body, and all you want to do is sleep. And then, of course, they, you, the next guy gets out, and then you've got to try to get your legs from jelly to functioning over, over the 50-metre walk. I've never thought about that idea of waiting to bat. It must be the worst. It's a really funny little sub-part of cricket is that when a, when a guy uh, – anyone anytime you play a guy who bowls really fast, you know, the whole drive on the bus to the game in the morning is different. The way – you know, everyone says hi to the opposition fast bowler. Eh? It's like, hey, Alan, how are you? Sleep well last night? You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, nice weather we're having, eh? You know, yeah. don't bounce me. It's, it's exactly the same at schoolboy cricket and even social level. Like rumours spread about a guy who's, who's at, our, at our sort of level bowling 135 and it's, it's you know, yeah. you, you watch him playing the week before and on the other um, domain pitch and... Oh, there's nothing worse than facing uh, fast bowling. I just remember as a, when I was coming through the age groups that it, 
you know, at tw- at twelve, thirteen, fourteen, all I wanted to do was the, all I wanted was the guy in front of me to get out so I could go and bat. And there's this, at some invisible point in time that changed to like hoping the guy in front of you never gets out. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. It's something something changes somewhere along the line. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? The idea that. Um uh, that an, a sports person or an athlete would actually just not want to actually <laughs> <laughs> have, to, have to go and play. Well, and sometimes I don't want to go to work, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah well, yeah, I true, think, yeah, but I, yeah. but I think it's um, you know, you people talk about being in the zone, right? So anytime, I think it's the nature of cricket. Cricket is like uh, such a long game that to maintain that ultra positive, ultra sort of clear headed zone is over an extended period of time. People do do it. You know, you look at um, the great batsmen of all time or the great mm. players in any sport, and that's what they, that's what elevates them from players who have great games or do or who are, or who are international level. The, the greats just maintain this mental zone space for an extended period and never, never leave it, never really drop below it. And, um, and, but it, but to maintain that, you know, I know myself in my career, I went, I, I had I know the zone because there's certain games when you you know it was it's a real thing you're in it and it's everything's effortless and you're mm. on top of the world. Well, but, Lords, for example, well, uh, what was it? Eleven wickets. Yeah, well, that was probably the first time runs. I. It wasn't the first time I'd had it, but it was the first time I had it at the top level, and yeah. it was and it changes your whole world because all of a sudden it's like it's almost like relief, you know. The whole you know there's no what's that Charlie Brown. There's no heavier burden in the world than a great potential, and um. <laughs> And you know that—that's my life story. <laughs> it's um, but that—that that is a real truth as a young sports person. And you getting in the team is not enough. There's always this: am I good enough to be here? You know. And all I remember, I just remember about that. A, it was like a dream. You know, this everything just ran perfectly. And and you know, and but I just remember at the end of it, it was like a this. Huge relief and burden had been taken off my shoulders. It's mm. like oh, I am good enough to do this, you know. And not only am I good enough, I'm actually I, f- I feel like I'm really good, you know. Like and and that changes everything. And this pe- how how you think about yourself changes. Well, that that game probably elevated you to um, at least in the public consciousness into sort of a different kind of league of cricketers, as it were. We've always kind of got that sense of some people. Uh, guaranteed selections, and some people are maybe a little bit lucky to be in the team. Do you do you feel like uh, that changed how people viewed you and and you know public it, it, selectors, the captain, it, perhaps? It changed how I viewed myself. I think, which is the most important thing. I I always um, expected to make the team, sort of in a way, and that sounds a bit arrogant, but. I was, you know, I, I, I was a terrible 12th man and, and <laughs> like I really, really was. I was just awful. And so, um, but but I think what it did is it just, it gave me a real sense of inner confidence. And and to a point I didn't really care so much about what the, I, like I I always feel in, in retrospect, you know, I didn't achieve what I should have. You know, there's a lot, whole bunch of reasons, mainly, mainly through injury. Mm. Um but also probably a little bit, you know, if you go back to the early 90s, you know, I got straight after that big game, I got approached by four clubs in England. So there's only, at that stage, you know, they only took one international player. So there's 17 guys in the world got these offers. Yeah. So they had four of these clubs. So I ended up going to Middlesex. So I went from, 
you know, Otago University, where, you know, driving my Ford Anglia to around and, you know, playing a bit of cricket and, you know, going to the gym once a week to um, <laughs> six days a week playing for the premier team in the English competition um, and driving to the, on the 7th to, you know, all over England to get yeah. to the next, because there's four competitions going at one time. So because we were the, one of the top teams, we were always playing. And I just, I got halfway through a season and I was just exhausted, you know. I had no idea how to manage myself. And I remember Tom Moody, um, who's an Australian guy, he's a Worcester um, professional, and he pulled me aside and he said, hey man, you know, you're going great, but you need to learn how to bowl off a short run and you need to calm down and you need to have some injuries and not play every game. Mm -hmm. And I just remember looking at him going, why is this Aussie guy telling me, what's he trying, is he trying to screw with my head? <laughs> um, and in retrospect, he's the only guy in my whole career who ever tried to actually give me some sound advice about how to manage myself in a career, you know. And right. so, you know, shout out to that, Tom Moody. That but, must be very different now though, right? I mean, that... I've, I think so. But there's a, there is a thing that happens. But what happens as a young player, you know, you come through, you know, there's a, great saying it takes a village to raise a child and it's the same in cricket you know you come through your, your school your club you have multiple coaches all the way through and they all help you and they elevate you and then you get in the domestic first class scene and and you know all of this helps and then all of a sudden you get into the black cats and and there's a sense that everyone thinks they've done their job and now you'll be looked after mm. and there's also a sense as the player you sort of go i've made it i don't need them anymore there's which is not a thought you really have but it that the, the it's a sort of potential for that sort of divide to happen. And then, and of course what happens is you sort of lose your mentors and you use, lose your people who, who give you honest feedback and all of a sudden you're in a different environment where you, a, a professional what's really competitive. So no one really is, none of the players are really helping each other like you might expect because you, because you know Tim Southey's trying to get the job off Graham, off Matt Henry and Matt Henry's trying to mm. get it off. Mm. So everyone's in this competing environment. So there's not this sort of support. Um, I'm not sure where I was going with all that. Well, but I mean, I they, they talk about uh, they talk about sort of a whole squad approach and stuff like that. Is that, I mean, potentially just talk? No, I think I think a, the change that happened for my generation in the '90s is they brought in um, Gilbert Anoka, who's with the Black Cats, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. All Blacks, and um, so Chris Doy became CEO. He brought in um, John Graham, Gilbert Anoka. Um, and um, and a couple of uh, Aussies, including Steve Rickson, who was a real bloody-minded Aussie coach. Mm. And the thing that they did really amazingly was um, they just got rid of – they gave us some simple rules by which to live by, you know. So 10 plus 1, do 10 things in a day, do one more, and that one more is for someone else. Um, so these or, – or, you know, work ethic over all else. If someone's working, you don't have to be their friend, but if you can see that they're doing the work – and they've got the work ethic, then you can respect, you have to respect that, celebrate each other's success, all these really simple things which seem so basic, but were just all new ideas to that group. And they took a bunch of, you know, earring-wearing, long-haired sort of like, you know, bad, thought we were bad boys, but basically won one game out of ten, to they put us on this journey to become a proper team. And they gave us a structure around which to build a culture and therefore rules that supported each other and change, they did change all of that. So that was great management and great leadership that, that, it, that allowed that. 
there was um there was an incident in your career obviously uh the tour of South Africa you Stephen Fleming and uh Matthew Hart was yeah, it yeah um can't recall what you're coming when you, what's the <laughs> <laughs> you, you brought up the bad boys. yeah yeah well yeah, I mean uh, you know it's you provided it's, the perfect segue Dion <laughs> yeah you did you said it and I just thought my eyes lit up and I thought I'm going to knock this out of the park but here we are and I'm stumbling over the question but I mean you, the three of you were uh, were honest and upfront about having some having some pot on tour, basically. There were rumours, certainly in Stephen Fleming's book, that other people in the team, who, I, as far as I know, have never been named, and it's probably defamatory to name them now, but other people were also involved with it but didn't front up. I mean, that that must have caused some friction in the in the team as a whole, right? If if there was sort of that divide between some people are on this page, some people are on another page. Well, look, I mean, if you go back to that tour, so it was a really, you know, there's there's huge issues with that team and that tour before we even left the country. So we actually won the first test in South Africa, which was amazing. First time we'd ever won in South Africa. Mm. And Jeff Howth was coach and, and, you know, we had... Ken Rutherford captain, Martin Crow was sort of in the team but not captain anymore. So there was all of these, you know, sort of frictions and, and issues that were simmering below the surface. No, The only thing that, you know, Ken and, and Martin had in common was their, their, they both disliked the coach, you know. And <laughs> and so, <clears throat> um, and then so we, so those three guys that you mentioned, me and Flem and, and, and Hardy, we were the youngest guys in the team and you know, we were quite tight. We'd all played youth cricket together. We're all starting to have a reasonable career, so um, you know we we hung tight. But there was lots of drinking. Like they had a really strange tour. First of all, we played one test, then we went into a, a one day series, tri series with um, uh, Pakistan, mm. and then the last two tests were at the end. And um, so it was a really strange setup. And Christmas, we were over there for Christmas, so it was a long tour. So it was set. You know, when you look back at it now, the whole thing was crazy. But mm. um, so we won the first test. Everyone goes out in parties. Then we went to Stellenbosch for a first-class game, and one of, I think, only two games in the history of cricket got called off for dangerous pitch. Really? So it got called off after one and a, one day and one morning, and it was there was these big cracks, so people were going forward and playing a forward defence, and the ball was pitching and hitting them straight in the middle of the forehead. Oh, like that horrendous West Indian pitch. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it, in the whole history, I'm pretty sure I'm right, in the whole history of all first-class cricket ever played, I think there's only two, maybe three games have been called off for a dangerous mm. pitch. So this was one of them. Anyway, so we got called off a day early, day and a half early. So this party gets quickly thrown together by the opposition team. And so we all go to a vineyard. And of course, all the pot comes out, and we're all sitting around with some of the opposition players and a whole bunch of ours. And you know, you know, it's not my proudest moment. We, of course, you know, I've been to university. I'd smoke pot, and and here's an opportunity, you know, to get some weed and, and with my couple of my mates. And so we, you know, apart from we actually spent a relatively short amount of time with the group because I was mm. awkward and I didn't feel comfortable how it was going down. Right, right. But I did. But we stole. A, little bit of the pot and, <laughs> and the three of us went off by ourselves that's you know such a massive social <laughs> faux pas that's well how, it was just how, oh, how are you admitting that well you know? no I, like, I don't feel bad about it at all i felt i felt the whole scene was wrong you know right. so at least that much but i didn't but i also but you've got to understand we'd been away and on tour and you know people were out 
drinking and breaking team rules and you know booze was a much bigger problem than pot on that tour mm. you know and and here so so you know so i didn't feel bad about it at all and and you know myself Stephen fleming and, and matthew hart had practiced our asses off you know we were really trying on that tour and trying and it was the future of our careers we'd putting into that group and i didn't feel that the rest of the group maybe was acknowledging that as well as they could have you know so mm. like you know there's a there's a whole lot of stuff going on um you know, I still felt part of the team. I felt felt loyal to it. Uh, and anyway, we had this party. Next day, we had practice in the morning. And we turned up and uh, instead of going to practice, they started calling us into this room. And I, I was the first called in and they said, oh, we've heard you were smoking pot yesterday. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's the coach, it's the manager and the captain. And, you know, yeah, we're all good yeah. friends. They're all people I respect and trust. So I'm not going to lie to them. And... um and so yeah, I said, yeah, look, I am, I did, and I'm really sorry. It was dumb, you know, and 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 I'm, I regret it, but you know, you know, that's it. Mm. And um, next guy walks in, and it's Flem, and the next guy walks in, and it's Hardy, and they got three from three, and I think they all just panicked, you know, they went shit, it's a whole team, um, and they stopped. And so by that's when they stopped doing the interview, the three of us went back and told everyone else in the team what was going on, and. Obviously, the word got round to say, "Well, what are you guys doing? Don't own up." <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that's sort of how it prevailed. That three of us owned up, and the rest didn't. Yeah. Um, or you know, or the not, and and not the. I, I have to say, you know, the whole team wasn't in on it. It was only you know maybe, but it was certainly more than three. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, as a as a young boy watching you guys and idolizing you guys and sort of being a little bit of a naughty boy myself, I. <laughs> I really looked up to the kiwis, is what I uh, called you I, on my cricket cards. I drew little joints in your mouth, and I drew weed leaves on your cards, and uh, it probably helped me down the path that I've followed in my life. And yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really grateful for that, and um, you know, showed me that you have to be honest about these sort of things, and um, sometimes embrace things like marijuana because I I still like to smoke it and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and, I, and I've learned that over the last sort of five years to be a lot more honest to my mum about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had to – the worst thing about that was because it was all covered up, right? So we all – $200 fine on tour and we're like – and I was like – I thought, oh, phew, dodge the bullet, you know. Mm. Anyway, we come back and we're playing the Shell Cup final. ND I was playing for and we're playing against Wellington in Wellington at the Basin. In the morning of the Shell Cup final, so I'm, we're about to go out literally half an hour, and the chairman of New Zealand cricket, this is uh, six weeks later, mm. the chairman of New Zealand cricket, cricket walks up to us in the, underneath the basin, and he, because um, uh, two of us are playing in the game, and Flem's not, but he walks up to me and Matthew Hunt, and hands us this letter, and going, um, you need to get uh, legal counsel, seek legal counsel, and turn up to this meeting for. Uh, it's been come to our attention that you were smoking marijuana on this tour. This is half yes. an hour before a Shell Cup final. Yeah. And I was just How like... How did you go in the game after Oh, this? my God. I, I, I can't even remember. I just remember, <laughs> walk, my, you know, your mind is blowing, right? Yeah. You're walking out. Yeah. And I, what were they thinking? Anyway, so um, I remember getting an altercation into an altercation with a guy on the boundary, actually. Um, and, I, I, you know, just your mind was sort of elsewhere. I think we won the game. But anyway, um, the... Um, so the um, so then you know that the worst but the worst part was at that point you know having to ring up my my mum and dad and go hey um you know the this 
golden run I've been having <laughs> with the, with everyone in the media. Um, I think it's about the end, um, and I could all and I, there was sort of like this big heavy breathing on the other end, and then I and then I was like, and my father's like, why? What's happened? And then I was like, ah, well, in South Africa, um, I was caught smoking pot. And there's just this long silence, you know, and it's just like, and I'm like, are, are you there? <laughs> and, was, and and so anyway, the, then my father comes down to this hearing. It was all there was a kangaroo court, and anyway, so I just he just said, right, we're going up north, get out of here. That you don't want to be around here. But for the whole drive from Auckland home, he made me listen to talkback radio, <laughs> and it was like the most depre- two and, the most depressing two and a half hours drive. It was like you know either I should have been in jail or I was like you know the leader of the revolution or something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like it's very very uh, funny punishment. Oh, yeah. it was terrible. I'm not angry, Dion. I'm, I'm disappointed. <laughs> but, but you are listening to this, and it was just like constantly turning off, turning on, turning off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously no one ever does anything illegal on the record or anything like that, but do you think, you know, drugs have been part of New Zealand's cricket culture or, or, you know, are people doing these sorts of things, again, as I say, completely off the record and no names or anything (laughs) like that? There's a microphone on, Alex. (laughs) You know what I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, Look, I I can only... Is this something that we don't really get a glimpse of as the public? I think that um, look, I think that now. So af- so from going forward after that event, you know, I think it changed. A, I think that the group changed. I think that actually some of the people who didn't own up at that time fell away, and I think Stephen Fleming and others and Chris Kens and, and and you know it's all the younger guys sort of came in, and we became a tighter unit that we could look each other in the eye. And, and and I and I think it was a bit of a changing of the guard there, um, um, and and but I think that going forward we all realised that can't happen again, and we can't be smoking pot on tour, and we can't be acting like goats, you know. Um, and actually going forward we became much more professional, and then when that management group came in, you know we would I remember going you know two months without a drink, you know, on a tour. Just you'd go to India and just not drink. You were just you know it was the whole and not be alone the whole virtually the whole team you know and so you just changed it did really change so and today i think with the amount of drug testing and just the general sort of routine that people are under you know there's just very little room for it yeah um yeah. and so i think like you know you know we're, the demands are so high now and you know you just you just sort of couldn't but i think if you're asking me you know if you know i i always felt that actually pot was less harmful than alcohol um, in terms of, you know, as an athlete, you know, and and you know, socially as well. Well, you know, I mean, I you know, and the, well, the only people who would disagree with that would be the sponsors, of course, uh, of course, of <laughs> course. And you know, and I'm and the, you know, there's this old debate right now about um, you know legalizing pot, and but I I sort of actually as in now I'm 47, I've got three kids. I actually come down, and you know, even with my past, I actually come down on the side of not not legalizing it. Um, you know, I, I, in a really flippant nature, if you can't score pot and get away with it, then you, you're probably not much <laughs> used to society. Um, but also, um, but also, like I've, I'm traveling now with my own work, and I, I'm going to places like San Francisco and um, and into places where you know pot is being legalized and introduced. Mm-hmm. And and I just really don't like you know what you know you go to downtown LA or 
or San Fran, and, and the infrastructure is not there, and, it, and it's keeping, you know, it's a marker for poverty and, and mental health. And, and whether it's the cause of it, that's not the thing, but it, it definitely becomes a marker. And that pungent smell as you walk around and, and there's people in really bad states, mm. it's sort of like a, you know, it's you know the old psychology of of you know ring a bell and the dog starts you know salivating for its for its food or um you know and it's sort of that to me it just it, it really reinforces a bad position and I I know it's much more complex than that but I think if we really wanted to care about our poorest poor parts of New Zealand and our, and uplifting people out of poverty I think there's a better way to remove the the damage of policing pot um, without sort of opening up the door um, to it and necessarily as a, as a legal um, free, you know, it's not free for all because I know it's, you know, there's arguments against that. But I well, think it's, it's it, sort yeah. of in that gray area at the moment, isn't it? Mm. Where I, I just think like you've got, we've got to tread carefully because I'm all for liberal being more liberal. I think our, we've got to grow up with our views on pot, putting people in jail for smoking pot is crazy. But at the same time, um, you know, I think we have to tread really, really carefully because it does lead into mental health, and and mm. we need to we need to sort of go with our eyes open as to how to do it. Interesting. You you mentioned you have learned a lot from your children and and seeing what the world looks like for them. Um, you've obviously formed a little bit of a super alliance with Benice of sports people. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to sort of list some shares on your children. <laughs> I, I would like to invest. I'd like to invest in them. You know, as, uh, much like Yao Ming was created as a um, superpower Chinese athlete. I think you know yeah. our future is um, your children and well, Jeff Wilson's. Which, yes, which yeah, sport a few are they going to represent New Zealand in first? Because uh, there's obviously going to be a couple of, of national <laughs> representatives among your family. So. Oh, it's look. It's a really funny thing, eh? It's um, you know, like I, I'm now part of the, you know, there's this um, I don't know, there's this epidemic of of sporting parents out there, you know, watching their kids and on the sideline, and we've all, you know, there's all this thing, and and and, of course, I want my kids to, in, a enjoy their sport and be good at it, you know, and have a chance of at at, at, at the path that I took. At the same time, um, I say this to many, many of my friends and, their, and parents and families it's, it, at the same time it's a marathon you know it's like um there's so many the guys who are, i remember going to so many uh, age group tournaments as a kid and i'd come home you know i'm from dargaville so not many people were at the tournament yeah, <laughs> i'd yeah. have to travel back from gisborne and you know and i'd get back and see my mates up north and i'd be like oh man i saw this guy he's gonna play for new zealand for sure and this guy was so fast he's gonna play for new zealand and every year i'd do the same thing in the same tournament and then see a new guy you know it'd be all these fa- names and i can still i still know their names now mm. you know they they were amazing cricketers how many of them made it i i made it you know <laughs> that's the thing you know like you know i'm you know there was a few yeah. others matthew hart was one matthew right. hart stood out as i was like man this guy's incredible and and you know but my point is it's a marathon you know and you know you from growth spurts to adolescence to you know girls and booze and drugs and even just getting over winning and losing and deciding whether you actually have that sort of stamina and and that so the the 
the thing that I think, if I look back, that I, that stood out for me is I re- at a really young age, for some reason, I bought into this dream and I had this unwavering approach to it and it didn't matter to me if I got beaten up at the tournament or if I wasn't good enough. For some reason, I just kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back. And so whatever that thing was, over my coordination or over my physical athlete ability or even my mental aptitude, there was that thing, that drive, that ambition or whatever was probably the key thing that I had over others. Mm. And so you can't manufacture that for people. That's got to come from within. And so, the, you know, with my own kids, I sort of, of course, I think they're good at sport. And I think, you know, I, I see many of the traits I had as a sports person in all of them. But, you know, I say to them all, it's like, you know, I can't, it's not me, it's not my journey, you know, it's, I can't do it. And you've got to decide whether you want to do it. Because it's, the other thing about sport is it's a really lonely path, you know, like, I coming back to pot, like I grew up in Dargaville, right? So <laughs> when all my friends in Dargaville, when I was 23 or 4 or whatever, got busted for pot, they were like, what? You're the, you're the, you know, you're the only you're straight guy. How, yeah, how, how did yeah, you, how come yeah. you got? And like, you know, all my <laughs> friends up north were, we all, I've got great friends from up there, but we, they all partied and, and, and I was never able to do that because I was at cricket on Saturday and, and on a really young age, I was already on this path that was ultimately got lonelier and lonelier because you get more and more isolated. Mm. And so that's any sportsman or, or sports person will tell you that even in a team sport, you know, within your social construct, it does get lonely. And your parents generally don't understand what you're going through. Your friends don't. So, you know, and these are things that now with your careers now, you're probably starting, you experience and it's like if you, you're doing more work than, than, your pe- than other peers or you don't, you know, because you want to progress. That's when you're 16 doing that, it's a totally different thing you don't understand you don't even understand it yeah well we don't have real jobs so, you know it's sort of, actually simon sort of does but you know <laughs> um so t- i mean just tell us a bit about your work then so triumph and disaster you're still you're still running that i am i am yeah how do i treat my beard dandruff i can't wear black shirts at the moment because it gets like yeah. snowflakes on my well, that's well, well so that's obviously yeah that's that's the skin underneath obviously so you actually just need to clean it a good clean, cleanser. I know a good company that makes a really great cleanser. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Actually, no, but you do you need to treat, even with a beard, you do need to treat the skin underneath. Um, but also sterilizing. Beards are, there's a great um, study out that um, a dog kennel, the, the mattress and the mat in a dog kennel has less bacteria than a human beard. Yeah, so. It's interesting that you sell, <laughs> that you sell uh, grooming products, yet you've got very little hair. I, think. <laughs> I, I know. Think you know I something know. that we don't. No, yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, no, oh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's nice to, to have something to put your energy into. And I'm, you know, I, I used them. I think the, the tie in for me is in cricket. You're in the sun all the time, so mm. looking after your skin was a, actually a relatively natural thing. But then the other thing I've really enjoyed is learning marketing and branding and creating a product. Is I, I'm, you know, I was always into sort of art and writing. Those are my two other things I did at school, and so I do those. I use those on most days, which I really enjoy. You know, that creative process. Mm. It was really interesting to see you go, would see triumph and disaster transition from a um, men's grooming. And, and cosmetics products into looking after both uh, sexes. What what inspired that? Well, actually, um, 
Asian girls discovered the brand and we just had these two two of our products which were the cleaning cleansing products, ritual cleanser, that all of a sudden from nowhere we just saw our numbers start spiking off onto Asia and it was like, what what's gone on? And um and we sort of also felt that like there's the thing that we benefited from, there's been this sort of urban lumberjack apocalypse is what I call it. You know, the the sort of like renaissance of um of modern man into barbershops and, and you know, tattoos and everyone everyone talking about a uh, motorcycles or whatever. Mm. Um and it's sort of like I, I didn't set out to create that brand. I felt that if you needed to put man on something, there was a lack of confidence in that. Um, yeah, that's and, a really good point, I think. Yeah, and I and I think like that I, I'm all for men having their moment, and you know, and, and actually, you know, now we were sort of the opposite. Women are sort of having um, you know their time, but to me, it's um, you know, the best parties are where the guys and the girls are at. You know, it's and it sort of feels like there's a maturity to that and a confidence in that that I really like, and that's the brand I set out to create. It's a longer burn it's a longer story and it's simpler to say hey this is for men and we sell it in barbershops but that's that's not the brand I set out to build and and I sort of feel like um you know the longer game is is a more interesting one to me and and if we can just so we say we're mas- we're masculine brand and that and that appeals to you know some girls like a more masculine smells or feel or look and that that way we get around that corner fantastic well um Last last question, I suppose. If you were in the dressing room uh, with the Black Caps, they've just come off three losses. They're about to play a semi-final, probably against India. No, probably against Australia. They're going to finish fourth. Are they? Yeah, they're going to finish fourth now. Uh, India jump jump over. No, I mean, Sorry, like, England. are India not going to finish first? I feel like Australia will finish first. Oh. So we're almost certain to play the cunts again. <laughs> Um, wow, wow! Alice, our producer, just putting a mark in there. No, keep that in. It's true. I, after the weekend, I hate them so much. We've been through this. Wow. Um, as far as I, I looked this morning, it's looking Australia one, us four, unless Pakistan do something crazy, which is which just is so not, unlikely. Not sh- so we're in the semis. We're in mm. the semis. We've made mm. the semis. It's very exciting, and we're going to beat Australia. And I'm just so excited. Got to have some faith. What What would you um, What would you change about the team right now to to? So I I would go straight back to Munro and Guptal at the top, and I'd say, guys, I'm sorry we've missed you around in the last couple of games, but we love you, and you're gonna do it for us. Mm. Um, I just I honestly think the best wickets are ahead. You know, all of the groundsmen will know they cannot produce bad wickets for the semis and final. So the mm. the, the best wickets are the next in the next three games, um, and on the best, flattest, hardest wickets, that's where Munro and Guptill are going to come into their own. So just you know, forget about what the media is saying. Forget about everything else. Go back to your your game A strategy. Put those two back in. Um, you know, build everyone up. Start start being a bit. You know, don't forget, drop the nice guy. You know, say some things that are a bit more outlandish. And, and you know, um, I think, um, you know, hopefully Lockie Ferguson comes back in. I think I think they had a really good model there um, going. I'm not 100% sure. I think they've got to go with Santner now because they haven't exposed the Shodi. But I, I feel like they may have missed out a, a, a trick there. But I think Santner's got to play just because he's, he's been the one playing all the way through. Um, and unfortunately for Tim Southey, I, I think you've got to stick with the guys who've, who've got it through. I think he hasn't played enough in the tournament to, to, that you could really say um, he's going to outperform Henry um, 
you know, and 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 the only thing I thing I'd say is that you know, you know, it's two games. It's two mm. games, and and we need in two games we need four heroes. Because cricket's stupidest concept is the idea of being due. <laughs> I've been the idea that you've been playing really badly for a long time means you're about to come good. It just doesn't make sense to me. But the black caps are due, and it's where it's really so exciting. Cute. The black caps are due, but, but, so we but, haven't but, played but, our But Martin Guptill is due, and Munro are due. Like if those, honestly, if those Rose two guys, if those everyone's due. do you actually believe in the concept somewhat? Oh my god, yes, absolutely. Wow. Those are listen. I tell you right now, I don't want to bowl to Colin Munro, man. Honestly, yeah. that guy, he's awkward. You know, he's like a boxer who sort of doesn't really, you don't, doesn't really set himself up and all of a sudden you can't, you, you just, just play normally and straight to him and he's just going to carve you up, you know. So, of course he's been getting out. Of course he looks terrible and out of form. But on his day, he'll get you off to a great start. And that's why they picked him, right? So mm. if, he, if he doesn't do it, live or die by the sword. But I feel like going more conservative, Ain't gonna win you the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just limp to a limp to a defeat, which would be depressing. But uh, e- either way, you know, <laughs> I, I for the record, I think we can still do it. I Same. actually have huge amount of faith in Roscoe Williamson. Um, you know, Trent Bolt is just playing out of his skin. He is. Jimmy Neesham has had a quiet, just quietly, he's had an amazing tournament. Yeah. And yeah. Colin de Grunholm is another one who, who uh, he's still got some magic in him. He's due. Um, Dion Nash, it's been absolutely fantastic having you in today. I think we've ended up going about 15 minutes over time. Oh, there's so no, it's there's been no abs- time. It's we been absolutely fantastic as as talking to you. This is our podcast. You're going to cut all the pot stuff out, eh? Just in case uh, my kids yeah, are listening. Yeah, yeah, for legal reasons. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to cut all of that. But we've got a uh, bag of su- Coffee Supreme Brazil Bubba Link for you. Caramel, hazelnut, buttery and nutty. Oh, fantastic. It's oh. actually really, really delicious. So. Mm. Well, listen, I appreciate you guys having me and I really love talking cricket with um, with people who love the game and, and it's been fun. So thanks. Uh, we're, we're cursed to love it, but, you know, <laughs> to love it from <laughs> New Zealand. So... Uh, that was the Offspin episode oh, 13 or 14 or something. I can't even remember now. What day of cricket we are on? It's like five weeks in. Yeah. I'm, I'm falling apart. But it was nice to get three hours sleep last night. But we will have another episode. If if the Black Caps play in the semifinals, which is almost certain it would require a, a Pakistani-esque miracle to make it happen. If that happens, we'll have the next episode Wednesday morning. Uh, no matter what happens, we'll still record one, and we no will one record will listen, something. We'll and we might—it might just be an hour of us sobbing. I don't know, but either way, we will be recording something. I'd like to say thank you very much to Alice for producing us today, and thanks very much to Coffee Supreme again for allowing us to do this ridiculous podcast. Hello for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. Kia ora e te iwi. Kia ora here. Podcast manager at The Spin-Off. 
If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.